We're here with the Rare Bird Podcast, and I'm Heidi Barnes, author of The Bellman and The Bellman's Secret. And I'm here today with singer-songwriter Damien Sage. Nice to have you here, Damien. You too, my friend. Thanks for having me. We have a commonality in that we both write, but our processes are probably very different. Novel versus songwriting. And I understand some people start with the lyrics first. Some people start with the melody first. I'm wondering what your process is and and about how long it takes you to write each song. So some people are like that. They write the lyrics first or the melody first or music first. I can't say I have a a formula. It's kind of just whatever comes to me. I could be playing the guitar and all of a sudden I'll hear a melody or a lyric in my head or I could be walking down the street and a lyric or melody pops in my head and I sing it into my phone to record it quick. It's kind of always different. As far as how long, that can really vary. Some songs come together super fast, you know, with, within an hour, the song's done. Some songs, I have a song called Caught Between the Rhymes where I wrote the verse and the chorus, couldn't figure out where to go with it, and maybe three years later the second verse and bridge came to me and the song was done. So it's very different per song. Wow. Yeah, that's, I think like writing a book sometimes takes you half a lifetime. Sometimes it takes you a year to write a book, which is my case. It just depends what's going on in your life and what comes to you at different times and what triggers whatever interests you have. And the type of music you play, because I've seen you play a number of times and I love it. And my favorite song is Memories. And I know that's out on a single, but how would you describe the type of music you play? I think it depends on what kind of show you come to. If it's just me, a solo show, you're going to see me with an acoustic guitar or me and a piano singing. If you come to the full band show, it's a little more rock and roll. Same songs, just has a totally different feel when there's a band behind it versus just an acoustic version. It's sort of singer-songwriter with uh, some rock and roll mixed in would be the style, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very, it's just unique style, and it's relaxing, yet upbeat and really enjoyable. I appreciate that. Do you have a specific writing process? What made you want to write a book? Well, I always, you know, at a very young age, I I just had this instinct that I wanted to write, and I didn't know what I wanted to write about, but I just had this eagerness to write. So at about age eight, I sat with a piece of paper and a pen and, and sat out by the rocks and on the rocky coast of Maine, and I thought I was it was all going to flow to me, and all I could write about were the seagulls and the boats and the going bites. It just didn't hit me. But years later, who knew that the property standing in front of me is what I was going to be writing about. So I think it's just it was a passion for me that was ingrained inside of me from a very early age. And uh, you just grow upon that. I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, My my earliest songs I wouldn't show to anybody. Well, I probably have scribbles of something down there that I probably wouldn't show to anybody either. I, I know you lived around the world. Was there a reason that you, you kept moving around so much? I was running from the law. <laughs> no, actually, my then husband ran hotels. So he was with the Four Seasons, Shangri-La, Fairmont. And as 
GM, you generally move every two to three years. Oh, wow. So, yes. So I followed him around the world for 23 years. He's now in London at the Savoy. So I would be living in London (laughs) at this moment had we not uh, gone our separate ways. But then I never would have made it home to the U.S. So uh, I'm grateful for that. And which actually brings me to a point because those flagship hotels like the Savoy, that's a type of hotel where the Bellman books take place in, which I call the Maycliff in the, in the books. But it's that same old world elegance, the ambiance. It's the same level of service. It's just on a smaller scale. Right. And this is where the Bellman Stanley, the protagonist, takes a mad romp through this luxury inn, the Maycliff, while he fights to keep his girl. And it takes place on the rocky coast of Maine in the late 80s. Okay. And, and the inn was my family's summer home previously. And after university, I ran it for seven years. Oh, oh wow. And, and it's funny because... People normally walk through a gorgeous hotel and they see its shell. They think it's perfect. But Stanley takes you behind the scenes into the chaos that really goes on. So it's a lot of fun. And the the opportunities I've had on both sides of the luxury market, they call it the front and back of the house in the hospitality business. Uh, I've been with the staff side of it, but I've also been on the whining and dining in the finest restaurants, staying in beautiful suites, attending business dinners and black tie events where I'm meeting interesting people from all over the world. So that has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I was on a champagne budget. Now it's beer. (laughs) But but having said that, uh, these fantastic experiences that have been presented to me, the Bellman books or the Bellman series is based solely on my family then because there is a difference between the Bellman in a corporate hotel versus the Bellman in a vacation property. Because in a corporate hotel, the main job of the Bellman is to carry bags. Versus the boutique hotel, the Bellman has a broader role, many hats, crosses the lines, and sees and does everything. So it was, it was really a lot of fun. <laughs> Great. I'm looking forward to your book. It's, oh, it's yeah. going to be, you it's better so- read it. You better read it. <laughs> it's going to be sure. Yes. <laughs> now, I understand uh, Bertie told me that you're getting signed. That is true. So I've what never, label? I've, uh, I've never been signed before. It's a new label called Dark Spark Music. Uh, the, the head of the label is named Vicki Hamilton. She's done everything from she used to manage Guns N' Roses to doing a record with June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash and lots in between. I'm very excited to be a part of it. and that uh, She's signing three acts to start, and I'm one of them, so I feel very uh, privileged in that regard. That is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic. Do you have a coming out party soon or? Yeah, she's doing the, uh, the label launch party on November 8th, a place in Hollywood called Bordner's on the outdoor patio stage. 
starts at 8 p.m. and it's going to be the three acts. The the first three acts on the label are all going to perform. So myself with a full band, a group called the Tender Beats, and a guy whose real name is Elvis. And uh, <laughs> they're all they're very they're all very good. Oh, that that sounds amazing! I'm going to be there. I'm going to put that in my calendar. Thank you. For sure. <laughs> so now you're from obviously New York, where Maine is near. And have you ever been to Maine? I haven't been to Maine. Um, I have friends and family that have gone to Maine and just said how beautiful it was. I wish I could say I'm well traveled, but I'm not. I lived in New York majority of my life. I've never even seen upstate New York. I kind of stick in my little world and as far as and I just kind of go where music takes me. So it took me to LA, it took me to San Diego. I just did a tour in Nashville. So that's pretty much where I go. I don't do a lot of vacations. Wow. Oh, well, that I don't do. I haven't been doing uh, vacations and I don't even remember the last time I took a vacation. I always seem to be traveling, but I have not been on a holiday per se. Right. Which is, it's on my bucket list to go on. Now you have an interest. Oh, sorry. Go on. I was going to say, aside from writing, you also do real estate, right? I do real estate and I am a realtor in Vancouver, Canada, which doesn't help me much in L.A., although it sort of has. And I tried to move to L.A. twice before, earlier on. And every time I tried to move here, somebody from Vancouver would give me a listing on their house. So I thought, oh, do I tell them that I'm moving to L.A. or do I go back and, you know, deal with the listing, which I was grateful to get. So both times, because I was sort of in transit, I went back and and dealt with the listings or the sales of their property, which was fantastic. And then I finally moved to L.A., and that's it. And I told people that I was moving, and somebody gave me a listing. And I thought, really? And they knew I moved to L.A., but it... it it worked out beautifully because I still had my Vancouver phone. So nobody in Vancouver knew I was in L.A. My son right. is licensed, so he did all the showings. So okay. I just made the appointments, and when it came down to the negotiations, I negotiated. So it went so smoothly without a hitch because nobody knew. Yeah. And everyone perfect. was happy. So that worked out well. And then I also run a property in the San Francisco area. It's a little town called Tiburon. I think you you mentioned that to me. Right. And it's a triplex and it's right over the water. So it's on 16 pilings over the water, five minute walk, waterfront walk to town, looks out at the Golden Gate Bridge. It's absolutely stunning. But you, you wouldn't imagine it would be a full-time job running three units, but it honestly is because I have noisy mating fish below, which which is another full podcast. I can't even go into that because no one would believe me. Right. And I've had a couple of floods, and then now I there's negotiations going on with the neighbor because they want to raise a roof and block part of our view. So I'm constantly flying back and forth between LA and San Francisco to deal with, to deal with the issues. Yeah, it is a full-time job. 
it's a full-time job, but I love real estate in any avenue, whether it's, I've been through a million renovations, purchasing properties, and I absolutely love real estate, although writing is my first passion. Right. I, I just love that. And you, I'd like to hear, I know you have an interesting background, if you don't mind sharing that. I think I know what you're talking about. I was one of these people early on that knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was music. I was probably around 10 or 11. I started getting into it, and by 12, 13, it was, I was just entrenched in it. It was all I wanted to do. And that caused a lot of problems in my house because I just didn't go to class in school. Like um, some kids cut class. I would cut every single class. I would go to school because my friends were there and I'd hang out with whoever had a free period. But for the most, a lot of the times I was just walking around with my headphones on, listening to music I liked or listening to ideas I was working on that I would record. And, you know, as a parent, I could imagine, I'm not a parent, but for my parents, especially my father, who is old school, tough Brooklyn guy, he wasn't having any of that. Um, and I could, I could get that perspective because I think a lot of kids, when they're young, they think they want know what they want to do, but they don't. They say, I want to be a baseball player. I want to be an astronaut. And for the most part, that doesn't happen. But I was just a person that I absolutely knew that's what I was going to do. And that led to me leaving my house at a very early age. Um, and I was homeless in New York for some some years. Years later, we spoke again and reconciled, and I have a good relationship with my dad now. You know what? It's, it was it was tough at the time, but I think it's made me who I am. It's something I write about now and then in my songs. So it's it's just that's life. Certain things happen. Wow, that that's amazing. How long were you uh, on the streets for? Oh, several years. In the very beginning, friends would let me stay at their house, but that got old for the parents very quick that they didn't want the responsibility. And I, I totally get that. I had one friend, Brian, who would let me sneak in his house late at night and I would literally sleep under his bed. I'd hear his mom, you know, come in the room and wake him up in the morning for school and I'd be under the bed. But some nights uh, I was outside, you know, it's just, the way it was. Oh my gosh! In the winter as well, I'm sure. Those. It, it, I hate to say it, but back then I used to sometimes just pray to not wake up. Right. But you know, I got through it, and you know, I, I don't harbor any resentment for it or anything anymore. I was very angry for for a while, um, and for a while I couldn't even speak about it. Um, even the thought of speaking about it would make my eyes well up, but. Now I'm pretty comfortable with it. A lot of years have passed. Right. Well, I'm sure you have, I hate to say grown from it because, but through hard times, everybody grows and you, you feel like giving up at the time um, yeah. because it's just so horrific. But once you get through that other side, you look back and you pull the next person up because you help help the next person in line whatever they're going through, because everybody's always going through something, and you don't know how horrific it is, and sometimes you find out too late, uh, which is horrible. So yeah. it's always good because now you have grounds to help somebody else in line who might be going through the same sort of 
thing that you went through? In San Diego, I used to arrange uh, charity concerts where I would perform and I would pick a charity. They were almost always children's charities, whether it was for homeless youth or Big Brothers Big Sisters or Boys and Girls Clubs. And um, I would go around to various businesses in the area and ask them to donate prizes we could raffle off. We'd charge a cover at the door. One of my friends uh, named Maroon would play a set. I'd play a set. And the last one we did had about 400 people there and raised thousands of dollars for the charity. So I try to do things like that as much as possible. That That's amazing. Good for you. Thanks. We need more more of you in the world. You know, the compassion. <laughs> we need more compassion in the world. I have, I've always felt. That's true. It's looking at looking after all, one another because we're all in this together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even though we're on our different paths, we're all in it together. Yeah, for sure. So, what do you do in LA? I I know you mentioned you do martial arts. But what are your other interests that you do while you're here when you're not writing or singing? I would say I do one martial art. It's called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I love it. I got addicted to it very on. In the beginning, I was the worst student ever. <laughs> I, was a, I was a white belt for about three years because I was – I didn't – some people are naturals. I was far from a natural. But I stuck with it. I've been doing it about 12 years now. I, I just – I love it. There's a lot of thinking involved, and it's just fun. I mean, you get hurt sometimes, but just this part of the territory. You did some martial arts as well, right? I did, but mine goes back about 10 years, but I did Taekwondo for years. Yeah, so it's probably about, yeah, about probably 10 years ago that I tested for my black belt. And I have always thought about, it's been in the back of my mind that I would like to do some form of self-defense again. Yeah. Because I, th I think it's just great training, uh, mentally and physically. I haven't had the chance to get back into it because of my moves, but uh, I would like to. I just think it's, especially in today's world, I just, I think it builds your confidence both mentally and physically, you just feel stronger going out there. So it has been in the back of my mind. I am going to look into it again. I'm not sure about jujitsu, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> and it sounds, I, I looked at, after my black belt, I looked at Krav Maga, which is, an, I believe, Israeli police force training that they do, I believe so. Krav and I was interested in that for a while. That's a great one. Kramaga is, um, I, I've only taken a couple classes in it, but it's, in, you know, inflicting the most damage as quick as possible to <laughs> or disable the person. Which is um, what you want to do when you're in a tough situation. Of course. Why I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very good, especially for women, is the vast majority of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is on your ground, on the ground, and fighting off your back. So, you know, God forbid anyone ever ended up in that safe situation. Uh, you, there's no direct answer 100% of the time for anything. But I always tell people, at least you have a game plan. Right. You, know, you have an answer of, fight, of fighting off your back. You know, nothing's 100% foolproof, but you have a plan. You, you know, if you go to class, you've been there a thousand times and you have options. 
Exactly. And that's the thing. I When you train in those martial arts, when it's repetitive, you go over it and over it and over it in the moves, everything becomes instinctual. Yeah, muscle memory. Exactly. So you think you you don't even have to think your your body is just going to react when you're in a situation like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is fantastic. I think men and women should do that, particularly women. Uh, I, I just, exactly. Just as a self defense. Option. I'm going to teach you some jujitsu anytime. Okay. Well, I don't want you to kill me. <laughs> you have to go gentle if you're going to do that. Because I'm not um, sure how much Taekwondo I remember, but <laughs> I can, I'm can. i pretty tough. Not quite a pit bull, but up there. Not Bruce Lee, but <laughs> not <laughs> somewhere along the line of Bruce Lee. No. That's great. I know. Sometime we will spar in, in some Sure. <laughs> I love that you beat me up. Yeah. So, and we have that New York, Maine connection. And I have to tell you, I know you haven't been to Maine yet, but when I have my book signing, you're coming because uh, you'll just have to put it on your list. But the New York Times advertisements, the classified we used to put in the paper, they were our biggest draw to uh, customers or to clients up there in Maine. And, the, and yeah, most of our clients came from New York. So I, and I always, I had spent five years in New York before I moved to Texas growing up and I always traveled through New York on my way to Maine. So I have a strong tie with that. And yeah. so perhaps we'll see each other in New York as well sometime. That would be great. Passing through. So tell me again, November 8th is your. It's the record labels launch party. Um, so okay. it's the three acts from the, the first signs of the label will be all performing. The label's called Dark Spark Music. If you want to check out some of the acts to, before the show, it's darksparkartists.com. Two songs from each artist. And yeah, it's going to be a fun show. It's probably going to be pretty packed because between the band's drawing and just Vicki Hamilton, the, the label head, she just knows so many people over the years in the music industry. So it's going to be a fun event. Well, I guess I have to get there early then, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Where can people buy your book? Well, the the Bellman is out now, and it's where all books are sold. Okay. And the Bellman Secret comes out in November. So okay. that will also be where all books are sold. Oh, great. Yeah, and you have to come to my book launch in L.A. I'm there. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. <laughs> okay, great chatting with you, Damien.